You, then, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in all things. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. When Phillips Theological Seminary decided to move from Enid, Oklahoma, to Tulsa, uh, they were right in discovering that we United Methodists had no closer accredited seminary than SMU in Dallas or St. Paul's in Kansas City or ILIF in Denver, Colorado. This was a prime location for a mainline seminary, and they had as many Methodist students as they had disciples. Now, we have a strong kinship with disciples of Christ, but we have some things that we say differently, and we certainly are governed differently. So it was imperative that Methodist students attending Phillips be taught Methodist doctrine and Methodist polity, governing, how we govern ourselves. The district superintendent of the Tulsa district agreed to teach polity, and I was asked to teach doctrine. So for the next ten years, I taught Methodist doctrine until the seminary hired a United Methodist professor, Dr. Ellen Blue, who could teach that course. I said to my classes, year after year, listen to me, I will tell you how to pass all of the requirements of our Board of Ordained Ministry. In your oral exams before them, if you get confused... Just start saying grace about every third word. We United Methodists love the word grace. We are not great believers in a God who's just waiting for a good opportunity to lash us across the back. Our God, whom we worship, is always wanting good to come to us and grieves when things are not going well with us. We believe in the unmerited favor of God, God's grace. I said, in your written exam, I don't know what they will ask you year after year, but one question I can assure you will be demanded by the Board of Ordained Ministry, and it will say something like this. Are you familiar with the statement, Jesus Christ is Lord? Explain that statement to us. And they will expect you to write at least five pages on each word. Can you write five pages about Jesus, five pages about Christ, five pages about a present tense verb for someone who lived 2,000 years ago, five pages about the word Lord and what that word is saying about Jesus. Well, here are those same words in the passage for today, and that's why I thought of that as a title for the sermon. Here we have it right in the first two verses I read for you, Jesus Christ and then Lord, Jesus Christ and then Lord. And in the very first point I want to make, this author says, My gospel, for which I'm willing to suffer and die, 
is about this descendant of David raised from the dead. He said a lot in that. First of all, that Jesus was a real flesh and blood person. Matthew and Luke use a lot of very expensive writing material in their Gospels to give you the lineage all the way from King David down to Jesus of Nazareth. One starts with Adam and Eve and gives you the generations as he understood them all the way down to Joseph of Nazareth. Trying to show that as David was called the Anointed One, Messiah, and Solomon was called the Anointed One, Messiah, that they had then struggled, the Israelites, through 400 years of lousy kings, only to have the kingship destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 and 586, that no descendant of David had sat on the throne in Jerusalem since that time. There were kings, Herod the Great, of course, king when Jesus was born, but not a descendant of David. And so for almost 600 years, a deep hunger and craving that one day God will bring back David's family, a king who will get it right, who will do all the things David should have done, Solomon should have done, Rehoboam should have done, and all those who followed after and didn't quite get them done. There will come one who will. The big problem was that Jesus was crucified. And there was nothing in the Hebrew Scriptures about a crucified Messiah. Messiah was supposed to come and deal with all the enemies of the Jews. The Messiah was to come and bring peace to the whole earth and help the whole earth know the one true God and all peoples to live in mutual love and appreciation of each other under the lordship of this one God. And so when New Testament writers talk about the crucified Messiah, they immediately talk about, but he was raised from the dead. He was raised from the dead. And that's crucial. He was killed. He was raised. This is my gospel, this author says. Diane King has written lately that she's 45 years old, she said, but my life was changed forever when I was 14. She's written that she grew up in Oklahoma City. Her father was a Roman Catholic. Her mother was a Baptist. She said, but neither had very much religion, and so this was one more thing they could fight about. I had two older brothers, Diane says. I was the only girl. None of us went to church. All I remember about my family was a lot of yelling and screaming and fighting. When I was a freshman in high school, 14 years old, a friend of mine said, next week is fall break. How would you like to go on a retreat with our church youth group? She said, retreat sounded all right. Church sounded terrible to me. And I said, I didn't think I was interested. And she said, there'd be a lot of good-looking guys. Well, she said I was 14, and that sounded great, so I said, I'll go. And I showed up that afternoon after school with my bedroll, everything I was supposed to bring, and this girl who'd invited me acted as if she'd never even seen me. She was really spending all of her time fooling around with the boys. I was just about to walk into that church to see if I could find a phone to call one of my brothers to come and get me, 
when a beautiful senior girl walked up to me and said, what's your name? And acted as if she really wanted to know. I told her my name, and she said, I'm so glad you're going on this retreat with us. You're going to have a great time. And she introduced me to one of her friends, and then another, and another, and they were all as nice as she was. She said, how would you like to sit by me on the bus? I was a freshman. She was a senior. I said, I would love to. And so I sat next to her. And she was just as nice to me the next morning at breakfast and the next day at lunch and the next night at dinner time. They were just as nice as those first few minutes. On the last night of the weekend retreat, the youth minister had built a big bonfire. This was in mid-October. Bonfire felt good. All of us were gathered around the fire. But he had also made a fairly large pile of sticks just outside the firewall And he said, anyone who wanted to, no one had to, if you want to, you can take one of the sticks and tell us about a time when you were aware that God was intersecting your life, when God was really close to you. And then add your stick to the fire. She said, this senior girl who had been so nice to me picked up a stick and told her story. It was wonderful. One of the boys picked up a stick and told a story when God seemed really close to him and added his stick to the fire. And one after the other, after the other, they added a stick to the fire. And for the first time, I got it. These people were so nice because God had touched their lives. It really was about Jesus and how Jesus had shown them how much God loved them and that they were supposed to love me. I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be like them. That weekend changed my life. This is our gospel. Then the writer says, Now I have a saying here for you that is sure, the old King James Bible added, and worthy of full acceptance. I told you when we went into these pastoral epistles a few weeks ago that there were going to be five times when this author would use this statement, here's a saying that is sure, and the King James translators added, and worthy of full acceptance. And what that means is that by the time these pastoral epistles got written, probably in the mid-90s or so, it's been a good 65 years or more since the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in those 65 years, certain truths have now been lifted up by the whole faith community. Everyone who was a part of this burgeoning young church, even little household groups in city after city, had come to certain things they really believed were true and forever true about God and what God had done for them in Christ Jesus. So... Point two here, let's look at this. Number three, number four, all from this sure saying that the author lifts up. The saying is sure. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. We're just having the 300th birthday of Samuel Johnson. 
Now, if you were an engineering major, you may not know much about Samuel Johnson, but we liberal arts majors know about Samuel Johnson. Samuel Johnson was one of the greatest British authors of that 18th century, born in 1709, just six years after John Wesley was born, a contemporary of John and Charles Wesley. Samuel Johnson was a tremendous writer. One of his best-known biographers says that the greatest thing he ever wrote was his novel called Rosalos. Remember that, Rosalos? It was about an Abyssinian prince who lived in a place called Happy Valley. Penn State folks would love that. He lived in Happy Valley 300 years ago. But when he got to be a young man, he decided he wanted to see what the rest of life was all about. What is life like for all the others out there? And so he left Happy Valley and made his way to the big city of Cairo in Egypt. He was really taken aback by all the smells and the sights and the sounds of a big, big city. He met young ones and old ones, rich ones and poor ones, male and female ones, and concluded that life seemed to be a lot more about enduring than enjoying. Not many whom he met seemed to be happy. And eventually he decided he wanted to go back home to Happy Valley. But he had another conclusion, and that conclusion was, I don't think life is about making one big choice but making many good choices. Now, that's partly right. I mean, our Bible says we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We have to make right decisions again and again and again. But we would differ in believing that there is one big one that frames all those that follow. And that's the part about dying with Christ Dying to self, help us move self out of center place and put God, whom we've come to know best in Jesus Christ, in center place. To go under the waters of baptism that spill down over us and wash us clean and present us as standing right with Almighty God. The big decision that as long as I'm the sinner, my life is a mess. If I can ask God to help me out of the sinner position and let God and God's will and purposes be the sinner, then God will help me make the right decisions that follow. Okay. Number three, if we are faithless, he is faithful. He cannot deny himself. And, of course, the scriptures to this author, those 39 scrolls of the Hebrew scriptures, and there were many times when the Israelites did not keep faith with God. But in those 39 scrolls, we have an accounting of century after century when God kept faith with them. The one word used more than any other to describe the nature of God in those Hebrew scrolls, the word chesed, chesed. Never failing love. God is the one whose love never, ever fails. 
all you football fans know the name Tony Dungy. Uh, Tony Dungy uh, grew up in a household where his mother and father were both teachers. And he said, I had a really great life growing up. My mom and dad were very loving, very caring, wanted me to have uh, every opportunity that life could possibly afford. He was graduated with honors from high school, but he was also a very fine athlete. He went to the University of Minnesota and became an outstanding quarterback at the University of Minnesota. He said, strange as it may seem to some of you, I had never seen people abusing alcohol. I had never seen people doing drugs. And when I saw so many of the students at the University of Minnesota abusing alcohol and doing drugs, I knew I didn't want to be a part of any of that. When he was graduated, he was invited to come into the NFL. He was a good player. His career was cut short. He became a coach and was the first African-American head coach ever to win the Super Bowl. Tony's life has not been without some hurt and pain. His oldest of three committed suicide. He has one daughter, one son left. He decided he wanted to spend more time with this wife he's loved, with this daughter and this son, and a lot more time with African Americans who are in prison. Because he was a big name, in football, he has instant access into the penitentiaries that he wants to visit, and the prisoners are always glad to talk with him. And Tony said, I try to concentrate on two things. One, I remind them that all of my growing up years, my dad would say to me again and again, but what do you need to do now that will make everything better? And what might you do that would make everything suddenly worse? Hadn't you rather choose the first than the second? Where you find yourself right now, what can you do that will make everything better? And the other thing he said, I share with them, if they will let me, my favorite verse from the Bible comes from the Gospel of Matthew, he said, What will it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Number four, if we endure, that is, if we hang in there with this faith into which we've been baptized, if we remember the core and center of our existence, then we shall also reign with him. We shall also reign with him. I think you all know how much it means to Gail and me to have family here. From the time Trey went off to SMU until Jason and his wife completed residency at Parkland, Dallas, and came back to Tulsa, we didn't all live in the same city for 17 years. And during that time, we lost our daughter to death. So when each of our sons did come back to Tulsa, what a blessing it's been since then. We love it. We have two wonderful daughters-in-law, and we have six outstanding grandchildren. <laughs> and so we look forward. They're very busy during 
often do not see them, uh, you know, Monday through Friday. But everybody has a standing invitation to Mexican food Saturday at lunch and lunch after church on Sunday. Last Sunday, Trey's family had something else they needed to do after church, and we hugged and they went on to do what they needed to do. But Jason's family, uh, we went to the Tulsa Country Club. Uh, we'd barely gotten into the door. By the time we get there, the little girls are, are hungry. You know, they're hungry, and they've been there before. So our little four-year-old, Dylan, went straight to the omelet center and ordered an omelet. Now, the rest of us started with fresh fruits and vegetables at the salad bar. And uh, so we got to the table. She was still standing with her plate waiting for her omelet. She's the one who had reminded me a couple of times over the last three or four months that we had forgotten to say the prayer. So since she did the second time, I've not forgotten to say the prayer, but I was waiting for her. So we all got to the table, and then in a moment, here she came with her omelet, and I helped her sit next to me, right next to me, and she looked over on my plate, and I had this fresh pineapple and beautiful strawberries. And she said, Granddad, could I have one of your strawberries? And I said, Sure. And I scooped it up with a clean spoon and put it over on her plate. And then I said, but we've been waiting for you to say the prayer. Would you like to say it today? And she shook her head and pointed to me, and I said, okay. So I said, God, thank you for our church. We've just left a few minutes ago. It means so much to us. Thank you for our family, whom we love so very much. And thank you for our food. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And she said, Granddad? I said, yes. She said, did you know the man that got killed? And I must have blinked for a second. Her older sister said, Jesus. And I said, oh. oh. I, I didn't know Jesus when he got killed. But I know all about him now. And her older sister said, it's not right that he got to come back to life and we don't get to come back alive. (laughs) And I said, but we do, just not here. We do get to come back alive and be with God forever and ever. And our little four-year-old said, I bet there's no food in heaven. (laughs) And her sister said, and nothing to drink. Know what the Bible says? The Bible says, don't be worried about what you will eat or what you will drink, that God knows everything for And this precious four-year-old said, oh, bite her strawberry. 